It is so awesome to be with you guys, all people's family. Laura and I had the privilege of having Stephanie live with us for three and a half years, and then we let Robert start spending some time with her, make him prove himself, and uh, he did a great job. So we are so honored to be here, and you guys are the fruit of the prayers of our heart that those from among us would go out and reach the cities and the nations of the world, and it is such a joy to see and be a part uh, with you guys uh, this morning. Now, today we're going to be talking about what we call intentional parenting. And of course, in one setting, there is no way to cover all the issues of parenting. We just finished a three-week series on parenting called Intentional Parenting at our home church in Waco, Texas. And we wanted to put that up for you. And you can go online the 17th, 23rd, and 30th. um, Because again, when we start touching the issues of parenting, whether it is what we need as individuals from what was lacking or whether it is what God is wanting to teach us for the future, want to make sure that we give you every resource that we can. But my beautiful wife, Laura, of 26 and a half years, um, is going to introduce our family to you in pictures. Okay, look up here. First family, this is a shot of the past for us. Here's Jimmy and I and our four kids, and we're in Williamsburg, Virginia. That's the beginning of vacation. A few days later, this would be more of a real snapshot. There you go. That is the vibe. Got some um, little attitudes and personalities going on there. But, um, but this is what we look like now, and I'll introduce them to you. Okay. Our daughter just got married. So starting here, you have Jimmy and then Caleb. He's our 19-year-old. He's a sophomore Baylor. Abby just got married. She lived out here for a year. Some of you know her. And then Lauren, she's a senior at Baylor. There's Daniel, our 14-year-old, and me. And of course, like all great families, we love this, but the best part, it just keeps getting better. We got to add Kyle. There's Kyle in the middle, and um, we call him our son. He's really our son-in-law, but we have just grafted him in as our own, and so that's our family. Well, now, if you look at the picture, Kyle really loves me using this picture because he looks really big and ripped in the middle. I just want to make note that Caleb and I are just about the same size. We're just leaning in a little bit and look a little smaller. Um, in the picture. Yeah, it is a good word, isn't it? Well, we're, we are, uh, again, just so honored uh, to be here and to put a little vision uh, in our hearts this morning about God's desire for us as parents and for parenting. But when I begin an issue like this, there's many things that come up immediately. There's pain, pain from the past, what was maybe lacking in our own lives. There's also the sobriety of the present. You're a parent, you're struggling, at times feeling maybe like a failure. And then there is the fear of the future. Uh, What will happen to my own kids? And there's so many different things that go on in a room like this. But before we get started, I want to pray something like this. I want to pray that you know that you are loved by God no matter where you are in the parented or parenting journey. That every day is a new day and a fresh start. You may be a grandparent and felt like you failed. You can make up for it with the grandkids. The beautiful thing about Jesus is that when we come to him with our stuff and we start aligning our lives in his way, there is always power for a new day. And I want to pray that as we get started. Spirit of the living God, I pray this morning as we talk about family, that your great power would be released in this place. 
There would be restoration and renewal for the past. There would be healing of our hearts. And there would be hope for the future. Lord, I pray that no sense of failure would deter the future of the men and women in this room. And we thank you that you will lead and speak to us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I had the privilege a few years ago of sitting down with about 25 men who were all multimillionaires who had given in the past year over a million dollars personally, they and their families, to some kind of Christian ministry around the world. I was brought in to challenge them on discipleship and using their resources for the glory of God. But soon I found, as we began to talk about Laura's and my own journey uh, in the area of finances and resources, and we began to talk about our kids, that the question answers began to come rapidly. And it shifted from finances to, what about family? I'm having this problem with my child. What do I do here? What about this? What about that? What do I do when I feel like a failure? It was mainly 50 and 60-year-old men who were very, very successful according to this world but had lacked and neglected their own families. What I found in that setting and what I have found through the years going to funerals or going to weddings is that people ultimately are not there to talk about how successful they have been, but everybody wants to leave a legacy of love. Everybody wants to know that they impacted their own children, that actually the generation behind them is greater than the one before them. And what is that in us that wants our kids to be, make it better than ourselves? The, what it is, is it is God's spirit that puts inside of us a desire to impart in men and women's lives so that there is a legacy generation after generation. The scripture behind that would be Psalm 103, verse 17. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him and His righteousness to children's children. Basically, it goes like this. God's desire is that everybody's life creates a generational blessing of 120 years. If I live before God righteously for 40 years and I invest in my own kids and the people that God brings my way spiritually and as well as my own natural children, then that's, a, that's 80 years. And if they invest in the next generation, that's 120 years. God intends all of us to have 120 years of blessing behind us. Isn't that encouraging? And it's interesting that he uses this phrase, if we fear the Lord, righteousness will extend to our children's children. Now, I need to pause and explain what the author means here just a moment. The fear of the Lord is not pulling back out of a trepidation, but it is drawing close out of respect. When it talks about the fear of the Lord, it's drawing close because you know all things. You are the bottom line of history. You created me. What you say is right. Therefore, I would only want to draw near to you and to trust you with all my life. When we fear God, He becomes central in all things. And His Word to us becomes right. When we're looking for what's the magic formula to parenting, we got to go to the one that created it, and it is God Himself. So I want to go through a few passages to frame our conversation. And they begin with the fear of the Lord. We just said one. When we fear the Lord, righteousness will extend to our children's children. When we honor God with the way we live our lives as parents and we adapt our lives to Him... The blessing will fall on our children. Another passage related to the fear of the Lord is Psalm 112, 1 and 2. Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. 
His descendants will be mighty on the earth. And the generation of the upright will be blessed. Isn't that beautiful? How blessed is the man or woman who fears the Lord because, and greatly delights in his commands and his children will be blessed. Now remember, they added a little something to it. Not just that I fear the Lord will my children be mighty on the earth, but I have to greatly delight in his commands. Some of us did grow up in Christian homes where our parents, they taught the commands of the Lord, but they didn't delight in the commands of the Lord. It was kind of like, you should do this, you ought to do this. Do you know what? I came from a pretty broken background, got saved when I was 17 years old. And when I came to Jesus, I needed Jesus. I had already done all the world stuff. I'd already done all the garbage and I wanted Jesus, man. And anything he had to say was good and right. And so Lord's and my journey has always been, God's got something to say, let's do it. God shows us something wrong in our life. Amen. Thank you, Lord. I want you. I delight in your commands. I want to do what you want me to do. People are like, you know, um, what, what, do your kids, will they struggle a little bit if you kind of tell them what God says and, and kind of hold the line? Can I just say, if you're holding the line on God's standards and you want to do it, they'll joyfully join you. But if you're holding the line out of bitterness or shoulds or oughts or some religious attitude, they won't want it either. Greatly delighting in the commands of the Lord and the promise is your kids will be mighty on the earth. It doesn't mean they'll be speaking from a stage necessarily or famous in somebody's eyes outwardly. What it does mean is they'll be healthy contributors to the kingdom of God. They'll be value adders to the communities they live in. They'll be responsible and clear about who God is. If we fear the Lord, if we honor and respect God. One more. Psalm 128, 1 uh, in verse 3. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it'll be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine and your children like olive branches around the table. Now, that's a little awkward wording, so let me unpack that a little bit. Your wife shall be fruitful, honoring God, all that. But the key verse is the last one. It says your children will be like olive branches around the table. In the context that this was written, the olive tree is where they got their oil. And oil in the, new, in the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit. Basically, if we will fear God, my kids will be anointed by God. There will be something on their life of the Holy Spirit that is passed on from one generation to another just because God is central in our home. I love to hear Stephen Gully lead worship. His brother, James Mark, leads worship uh, at our place. Uh, his other brother, Carl, uh, is uh, on our staff and our college pastor. His other brother, Jonathan, planted a wonderful church in Chicago. Uh, they had another brother that's with the Lord. But all these boys are anointed by God. But some of you guys know their journey growing up. Their dad struggled with alcoholism. Their mom was faithful to the Lord. But they hung together. They got through it. Dad got victory and has lived sober and free for the last 20 years. But here is something that I want to make note of. The reason that these boys are anointed, no doing of their own, was because even in dad's addiction, he feared God. Well, that sounds kind of weird. Ed didn't think his addiction was right. He wasn't gloating it. He was saying, I hate it. I don't know how to get out of it. But God will be praised in this house. And you boys, we will honor God. I am not right with God, but we will honor God. We will not dishonor God. We're not asking for perfect parents, just parents that know where to go with the problem. 
wherever you are in the journey, mom and dad, when you know where to go, when God is central, even your brokenness, God can overcome and anoint your children. These men are anointed by God, not because of their doing, but because of their parents' consecration to put Jesus at the center of their world and to fear and honor him, even in their struggle and even in their brokenness. Well, when we talk about the bigness of God and mom and dad coming to God, we've got to talk about the power of mom and dad. And as I get into this part, I want you to know if you're a single mom or a single dad, there is grace for you. But God intended for mom and dad to stay together in order to wholly and rightly serve their children. Whatever we talk about here in the next few moments that's lacking in your life, there's this thing called the church that is making up for what you're lacking. If you were a single mom, we had a lady in our midst um, who uh, got pregnant in high school, decided to have her baby and to keep her baby. Her dad came to me because she felt like she was to come to university, to Baylor University, and wanted to go through all four years and wanted to bring her son with her. The dad made a special trip from Houston. He sat down with me and he said, I don't know what I'm going to do. She wants to do it. I've got to let her give it a shot. Could the church help? Could you guys have her back? And as, and I said, absolutely, just line us up, tell us when she's coming. She comes, and I sat down and met with her, and she said, I'm here because I believe God sent me. She said, but I need you guys. She said, I read a statistic for every absent father, it takes four healthy men involved in that young man's life to make up for that absent dad. She said, are there four young men in the college group that could take my son on in this journey? Well, let me just tell you that they did. We had a a group of college students take on this particular gal and their young son. They went on the mission trips with us. They were in life groups with us, went through the journey with us. And one of those four young men realized that this young lady, Abby, was actually quite beautiful. And he was attracted to her and also enjoyed being with their son, Matthew. And he had read a scripture when he had come to the Lord in junior high about Abigail in the Old Testament who became a wife of David and he said, God, would you send me my Abigail one day? Well, you kind of know where we're going, right? By the time they graduated from Baylor, they were married and now they are serving the Lord in our church down in Houston. Matthew has a dad. But it was the men of the church that surrounded this family that not only allowed this lady to flourish, but for her son to walk with God, honor God, and grow up in the grace of God. So whatever we're lacking, God's intention is that he himself and his people will make up the lack. But let's go back to his original intent, the power of the mom and the power of the dad. And it's better to hear from mom, isn't it? Let's give it up for Laura as she comes and talks about the power of the mom. Okay, um, I want to take you first into just a verse um, that really shaped me in my value and um, as a mom and my influence and how much influence I did have. And if you could open your Bibles or read up here with me, Hebrews eleven twenty three. Okay, it's 23 through, I'm going to read a little farther, sorry, 26. Here we go. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth 
than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. You know, and I read that if you know, I know Robert did a series on Moses, but the part of Moses, I want to, what drew out the mother part, like, where's the mother fit in? When, um, the Hebrews were told to throw their first, their sons into the Nile and that the midwives were to throw the Nile. Well, this family had a son and they had courage like, wow, God has a plan for this boy. And with their courage, they hit him. And then the mom says, okay, we have to figure out something. So you know the story. They put him in a basket, and he, they watch him. Okay, God, he's in your hands. And Pharaoh's daughter picks him up, and she's like, whoa, a Hebrew child. I want to raise this. I need somebody to nurse this child. Well, lo and behold, hey, there's a Hebrew girl right next to me, Moses' sister. Go find me somebody to nurse this child. Huh? Well, no, she goes and finds her. Okay, mom. So she goes and finds the mom and brings, the, brings Moses to his mom. And so in that culture, three to five years was how long the process of nursing was. And I don't know about you, but if I'm the mom and I, this is my child, I would make that last as long as I could. And so basically he was in her care. And I believe from this scripture... Something happened in those five or so years that he was with his mom that she instilled in him a hunger for God more than any the riches and the wealth of Egypt. Most of us, when we have these young ones, we're just throwing them a toy or giving them, just, t- just taking care of them and not really thinking, do I really have power and influence in these young years? Well, here's an example of a woman who took what she had and poured into him, and he became the deliverer of the Israel people. And so out of that scripture, I just want to say, we have influence, mom. You are important. And I just want to share a few things, a few ways of mom, the roles of a mom. And um, number one, you're a nurturer. Okay, mom, you play the part of a nurturer. You are the one that's present, and you show the tender care of God. Most likely, you notice the details of your child's life, like when they need new shoes, or you're the one that puts the extra note in the lunchbox that says, I love you, or you're the one that puts the Band-Aid on your child when they fall down, or maybe hug them when they feel rejected or feel like they failed. Those details, those attention that you put on your child place value on them, and it shows them they're important and they have worth. Very, very important. Haven't you noticed that most, at, most athletes at the end, if they get a chance to get on TV, what's the first thing they say? They say, hi, mom. Something very significant there, no matter what the, who the person is. You're also the one that represents to your child that God is your advocate. You represent to the child that you have an advocate. Um, I actually call this the mama bear syndrome. And if you've ever been around a mama bear when her cubs getting messed with, they say, get away. And I felt the same thing. If you've been in a situation with one of your kids where they're getting um, offended or rejected, I can turn into a bear. And in fact, recently something happened. Um, our youngest son golfs and we were actually at a tournament and one kid kind of, Daniel had done really well. And this other kid hadn't done as well. And, um, you know, we're from Waco, so sometimes we joke that we're the regnet golfers, you know. And this was a North Dallas tournament, and it was just, you know, and they're like, who's this kid that's coming from Waco trying to beat us, you know. And this kid came up and said, like, I'm going after you, you know. And my mama bearing me was like, excuse me. I mean, I was ready for my sermon. I was going to lay him out if he did anything to Daniel. I mean, I was like, this is a gentleman's game. You get on that football field, boy. Get away from here. You know, I was mean. Mama bear can come out. <laughs> 
It's amazing. But you know what? We are, we show, we show our kids that they have an advocate. They have somebody that has their back and their forum. You're also the example of, um, to your girls of what a godly lady is, what she dresses like and what she looks like, how she talks, how she acts. You're her model. And you set the tone of the home. You create the atmosphere. If it's one of joy and lightheartedness and warm and accepting, or is it one of anxiety and stress and coldness? You know, that's why I always say it's so important as guys say, when you come home, girls, or when you have your kids under you, it's game on time. It's not time to check out. It's game on. Um, they, there's a saying that says, when mom's not happy, nobody's happy. And there's something about that. But if I could leave you with anything this morning, it would be that we, um, if anything, if you could be present with your kids, they need your affirmation and they need your presence. You know, um, I would just say whenever it's an option, use your energy to be around your kids and to invest in them. They want you there, and it matters so much. You know, a friend of mine, Susan, she's getting her master's online. And she has five professors that they, and there's a class. They've been doing this for two years, and they're doing it together. And periodically, the students will um, call their professors or email them and say, hey, how can we pray for you? We want to pray for you. And there's three men and there's two women professors. And they all have the same value and the same credentials and the same input into this program. And she, she called me and she said, this is crazy. But every time we take prayer requests, the men are always like, hey, I have this dissertation I have to do or pray for my, um, my stress level or whatever. But every time the women say, pray for my daughter, pray for my son, pray for their marriage, pray for my grandchildren. They have the same responsibilities and same issues, but it's something about the mama's heart. She is after her kids. So I want to say your talents and abilities are needed in this world, but your kids need you. And I want to challenge you in those years when your kids are home and they're more present with you, that um, get involved, really get involved. I'm not saying that a stay-home mom is the only way to be a successful mom. I'm not saying that. But I am saying, check your heart and ask God, am I in the right place? Am I in a situation that I'm giving my kids what they need? The word says what he calls you to, he equips you for. And I know so many of us feel so insecure about being a mom. And that can come from so many ways, like Jimmy shared, whether um, your own role model being disappointing or maybe just today's pressures. But I want to say, and that fear in us can cause us to shy away or hide away from it. But I want to tell you this, God picked you to be your child's mom. He intentionally picked you. No matter how your child came in the world, he picked you to be that child's mom. And he never planned for you to do it alone. Okay? So don't believe the lie that a mom's a secondary role. It is so valuable. It takes all kinds of skills. We're counselors. We're educators. We're nurses. We have all these different roles that a mom plays. But I'm going to say your kids need you. So I say grab hands with God and go be a mom with you, for your kid. Amen. Awesome. Beautiful. Absolutely. So glad she is my kid's mom. So blessed. Well, great job talking about moms. What about dads? What is our role? And one of the things that both secular psychologists and Christian psychologists would say is the father is the one who marks identity on their kids, who says you are male and you are female, not only with our words, but how we treat them. 
It's where they get that clarity in their lives, in their development process. For my little girls, I would uh, wake them up in the mornings and I would say, Hello, beautiful. It's going to be a great day. You see, I wanted to stamp in their minds that somebody in this world thought they were the most beautiful one in the world. That no matter what came their way, they knew their father delighted in them and knew that they were beautiful. With our little girls, we should hug them and hold them appropriately. We should play with them. How many rounds of Candyland have I been through? I actually played Little Princess. I have played everything under the sun. We've done it together. Date them as well. You know, my girls were very different. I would take Abby out on dates and she would just, yeah, just talk the whole time. I'd just say, "Uh uh-huh, yes, oh, I love you. You know, didn't have to add a lot to the conversation. When Lauren was little, she didn't say anything. And I got a little insecure as a dad because I would ask questions. Yes, daddy, no daddy. And I would think, man, am I doing this right? Is she feeling loved? And finally, what I realized was all she wanted to do was just be with me. We didn't even have to say anything. I still just remember her sticking her hand out me, holding her hand, just driving down the road. Still touches deep place. She just wanted to be by my side. As she matured and grew grew up, she's now filling the conversation herself. But dads, we don't have to be insecure. We just need to be present. We need to be present. That's, that's what they need. And what I admonish dads to do is treat your daughters as princesses so they do not need another prince. The reason they're looking outside of the home for needs to be met is because maybe we have not been what they have needed. They so long for you to be that centerpiece of the home. For our boys, we need to call them to rise up. What I noticed about boys that is different from girls is boys are just squirrely. They kind of drift. And they need men to keep lassoing them back in. Clarify, focus, buddy, focus. We're going somewhere. (laughs) A little slower learners in the early years, they need that constant um, chiding and encouragement uh, along the way. What I did with my boys when I would wake them up in the morning, I would say, rise up, men of God. It's time to take on the day. Trying to put in them the sense of responsibility and destiny, not to be passive men, but to be clear contributors to the family and to the community. Rise up, men of God, to call them up. I have found in all young men that they want you to be their heroes, Dad, until you prove them otherwise. I still remember as a little boy, my dad would every morning get ready in the mirror and Uh, He would put Brill cream in his hair. And for those who don't have an idea what Brill cream is, that was the uh, pre-dating of gel. That was way before gel. Same deal. And he would slick his hair back. And I remember he'd walk out and I'd get the Brill cream and I'd put it in my hair and I would slick it back. But you know, he wasn't that present. He was somewhat passive and distant. And then my brother became my role model. And actually my older brother was a good role model. Can't say a lot for the second brother, but the older brother was a good role model and he went away to college when I was in fifth grade and then the mirrors became my peers and then everything went south. Dad, your young men are looking at you. That is what male is and they want you to be their hero. Be what they need. 
My son Caleb brought up a, a, a deal the other day that um, in, when we were speaking together on parenting that I had not remembered in years. And he talked about the summer we decided that all of our kids were going to get in shape and do triathlons. Now, again, don't, don't think it was that heavy. It was a little triathlon. Just, you know, swim a little bit, ride a little bit, run a little bit. No big deal. He was about eight years old. And um, so we had trained and he did the swim and he did great. He was, you know, in the middle of the pack, maybe a little ahead. And then we got on the bike and he was frustrated. The bike ride probably at that age was probably five or six miles. But again, we were from Waco and we were in North Dallas and we had the Walmart bike that weighed 150 pounds. The other kids had the Trek road bikes, you know, zing, zing, zing. Caleb was in tears. He's somewhat competitive. And as he was trying as hard as he could, he couldn't just zing. Their, their bikes were five pounds and his was 150 by the time he landed in that transition from the bike to the run, he was in tears. Dad, they're all beating me. Why do we have Walmart bikes? What? <laughs> Son, it's what we could afford. Get over it. <laughs> but he's in tears and, and he's starting to run. And he said, I just want to quit. I said, you will not quit. And I was alongside of him. And I said, you run alongside me. You run beside me. Woo! You know, going back. And I said, hey, buddy, you're you're running alongside of me no matter what. You just need to get over it. We're going. We're going. So we start running. Slowly the tears kind of dry up. We get about three quarters of a mile into it. And you see the finish line a quarter mile away. And there's a guy about a hundred yards ahead. And I said, Caleb, go get him. And I said, I am going to run with you and we are going to go get him together. And I start picking up the pace and he starts sprinting next to me. And he didn't even notice. I peeled off. Caleb passes him about 10 yards before the finish line. Ran through the finish line like he'd won the whole race. Ran up, picked him up, hugged him, rejoiced. Yes, we won. We beat a straggler in the end. And as we're rejoicing and laughing together at this kind of semi-victory here, I look over and I realize the other boy has no one meeting him at the finish line. And I realized the reason we caught him is he had no one by his side. Your young men in your home are called and gifted by God, but they need you beside them to be all that God has called them to be. Well, we put in the big rocks, biblically, the centrality of God, the centrality of the mom, the centrality of the dad. So let's put all the pieces together in our last few moments. Psalm 90, verse 12, David said, teach me to order my days that I may present to you a heart of wisdom. Mom and dad, you can love God and you can love your kids, but if you're not involved in the details, if it doesn't work its way out in the simplicity of the daily life, then it can actually be amiss with the best heart. And of course, we just have a little bit of time left, but I want to just hit some big rocks. We taught all of our kids early on to spend time with Jesus. So much so that it didn't become a burden. It's been a joy in our lives. We sit them next to us and when they could read the little bi the Bible with the big letters in it, you know, see Jesus run, see Jesus run fast. You know, the, uh, the abridged version of the Bible, we would kind of start there and then we would teach them how to pray. We just do it back and forth together till they could do it on their own. And then even to this day, we sit down to them, we sit down with them cyclically. But after everybody spent time with Jesus, we would land at the breakfast table and we would have family devotions. Now, just so you know, the family devotions were not like, oh, you know, Sunday morning throne room. 
It was like, hey, you quit hitting so-and-so. Get over here. That milk just spilled. Somebody clean that up. What is everybody thankful for? Let's just talk about right now. So we were committed to family devotions in the midst of the chaos. And there were basic things that we covered. What are you thankful for? Just taking a little passage of Scripture. What does it say? How are we going to obey it today? And then we would pray for one another. We would pray for missionaries around the world. We'd pray for a need at school. Man, it was not fancy, but it was consistent. Every day we are going to get before God, beautiful or ugly. We're going to get before God together as a family and just consecrate this space in this place. And then we would carry over into the car and we would go on mission. If they were going to school, we'd be talking about, all right, what's going to go on at school today? Well, I feel a little insecure here. I don't know about that. We would pray about those things together. But the biggest thing we left our kids with is you're not at school to get your needs met. You're at school to give and to learn. That there are people out there that need you. You are valuable. This school is not the center of your life. Jesus is. Go learn and be diligent in your studies so that you have the power to serve others in the future and go look for people that are hurting and invest in their lives. So we would create a missional mindset. So school, now let's keep going. So after school, you have friends. And many of you guys say, golly, my struggle is what to do with friendships. And here are are our big four things with friendships, all right? Hang in there. We're coming to the finish line. Number one, with friends, we decided that our family was going to be best friends. We said, you know what? Everybody else is going to come and go, but we will be committed to one another. Yes, we had forced friendship inside the home. (laughs) Yes, you just hit your brother, you hit your sister, you pinch so-and-so. I know you like to do that, but we're not doing that here. Because here, well, here's what we resolved. We will be best friends, so we might as well just get over it. Mom and dad, whatever you decide is going to happen, especially in their development years, will happen. We had laid it down, and we worked and worked and worked, and I can tell you my kids today would rather be with one another than anyone else in the world. We decided what friendship was going to look like. Then, of course, we would become friends with people that were like-hearted, like-minded. Laura would do playgroups with kids, or we would help pick their friends in the early years, not just lead them to random assortment. So what do you do with friends uh, that don't have the same values or kids that are hurting that need your kid's friendship? And one thing for sure, we made sure that if we left our kids alone in the care of another, that that person or, or persons had the same values that we had. We did not drop them off at friend's house in the name of what they need. Because if any of you guys have been around, most of the stuff that happened bad in our lives happened in an unsupervised way when we were younger. And we did not allow that. Even if it got awkward, didn't matter who it offended, we were going to be loving. But we were going to be clear that in our kids' development years that we were responsible to watch over them and put them in a safe environment. If we had kids that were hurting that they were friends with or wanted to be friends with, they would come to our house. They would come into our world where we could help develop that. And then we would speak and and try to help the parents out as well. Maybe one last thing on friends. What do you do when your kids don't have friends? When they're rejected by others? Laura already mentioned the mama bear syndrome. Yes, you kill that other kid or family, right? (laughs) No, that's not what you do. How do you handle the rejections? What I first learned years ago is there's probably, there may be a reason why they're being rejected. My kid may not be perfect. It may not just be what they said. And so I will get to know the other kid, watch them in a play environment. Going to school is very eye-opening at lunchtime. 
and saying, you know what, the way you eat your food with your mouth open, that's why the kids don't want to be near you. (laughs) Being honest with your children along the way. The rejection thing happens, but if we're engaged and involved, then we can help them navigate the journey. Remember, if home is safe, then they're not looking for meeting needs outside of home, but they're drawing from that strength to serve others. Last big rock that I want to touch base on is media and all of its influences, which is huge. But I thought it would be better to hear from our son, who's 19 years old, and his own journey in the areas of purity and media and kind of how we took the journey and where he is today. So let's welcome Caleb Seibert. All right. Well, it is an honor to be up here today, and I definitely don't feel like an expert on parenting, but I did want to give you guys just a picture of what life was like in our house, and I'm going to spend most of my, t- my time on media, but I did want to take a second and just say, with purity, I think two things my parents did so well with all the ups and downs of life and um, you know all the, all the deals and issues with purity, I think two things they did was, one, they created a culture of openness. And really, my parents would always say, hey, you can tell us anything. It doesn't matter how weird it seems, how weird it feels. Please tell us. We want to be a safe place for you. And I know my parents did that so well that even even in college, honestly, my safest place is still my mom and dad. And when I uh, reach these places of uh, feeling insecure or all the other things that come with that, I really, my parents are my safest place. So they created a culture of openness. And the second thing they did was they created a dependence on the word of God. And I remember every time I'd come to my parents and, you know, mom and dad, I had this weird thought or, or all these other things. They would say, Hey, let's go to the word of God. What does the word of God say about that? And so that way it wasn't just them as my source of wisdom and strength that I needed, but it was, Hey, Let's go to the Word of God together. So I remember me and my dad memorizing Romans 8. We memorized, you know, Colossians 3 together. Set your mind on things above and not on the things of this world. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Just little things like that where my parents would, they walk through the process with us together. Um, so, so with holiness comes media. And I want to say I'm very passionate about this because I've seen the destruction that doing this the wrong way can bring. And um, you know, especially in college, I, I know for me, I've obviously had ups and downs and there've been seasons where it's been easier to walk in holiness and seasons where it's been harder. But for me, especially in media, the default, the place of comfort has always been the place of purity because that's what my parents fought for. And I've seen so many of my friends and people I've met in college that their default, their place of comfort really is the trash of the world because their parents didn't do a good job monitoring what they watched and the things that they were exposed to. So really, you have a chance to set up your child's default, to set up what their place of comfort is. And my parents did a great job fighting for purity to be that place of default for me. Um, And I know in our house, we had a very strict media policy. Um, As far as I can remember, we had no secular music in the house and um, and movies wise, we probably watched the least questionable movies of anybody I knew. And at some points I was really awkward because, you know, friends would come over and my dad would be like, hey, like, we're not going to watch that. And he'd just turn it off. And um, <laughs> so we had, you know, had to work through all of that. But, um, but I want to take a second and address the fear that if you shelter your kids too much um, or if you protect them too much from the things of the world, then they'll feel uncultured or they won't know how to deal with it once they experience it. Or maybe they'll go crazy once they experience uh, everything that the world has to offer. And, 
And I want to say, I, I grew up in a Christian school, so lots of kids that were parents that were trying to follow Jesus, trying to shelter and protect their kids. But no matter where you are in the process, I, what I found is that your kids will experience the junk of the world, whether you want them to or not. It's just, it's just the world that we live in. You, you have some control, especially in your home. You have the most control. But, but out there, your kids are going to experience the junk of the world. So don't feel like you need to introduce them to it. If you have a space, you have, you have this space in your home where really you're in control of what they see, what they hear, then fight for that. Fight for a safe place because that's the one place you can control. And I remember so many times my parents saying, hey, you know, whatever you experience out there, whatever happens at school today, whatever happens with friends, you know, what, no matter what junk is out there, when you come home, I always knew, man, this is a safe place. This is the standard that my parents are putting in my heart, the standard of holiness and purity. And man, no matter what happens out there, I've got a safe place. So, so even if that looks being a little awkward, being a little radical, I know, I know we were, but, but it was worth it because my parents created that safe place, that, that default of purity in my heart. Um, and, you know, I know there's so many stories about kids who their parents tried to teach them and uh, teach them the way they should go, you know, but then they, they ran away from it later. And, uh, you know, I'm always reminded of the verse in Proverbs. It says, raise up your child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he won't depart from it. And I think in so many ways, my parents believe that by faith and just said, Lord, we trust that your word is true, that if we raise up our kids in the way they should go, then they're not going to depart from it, no matter what it might feel like in, in this instance or this moment. Um, but I think two reasons for me uh, that I didn't really ever totally run away from the values my parents were trying to put in my heart was one, I always knew the heart behind everything they said. So it wasn't, Hey, we're not going to watch this or we're not going to do this just cause it's bad or just cause I'm telling you not to do this. It was, it was always based on relationship. It was, Hey, we're not going to watch this. We're not going to do this because we want to leave our hearts open and pure so that when Jesus speaks to us, we can respond. And, and really that was the goal. The goal was relationship. It was, we don't want to hurt the heart of God. And man, when I saw that in my parents, when I saw that this wasn't just something they were putting on us. Kind of like my dad was saying earlier, this wasn't just rules and regulations that they were trying to put, put on us, but it was something that they were fighting for themselves. They wanted it. They really did. They didn't just say it. They wanted it. And, and you can sense that. You can feel it. And the second thing was the consistency of my mom and dad. So if my parents were calling us not to watch something or not to do something, they wouldn't say, hey, don't do this, and then go in their own room and do it by themselves. And and I know there's obviously a balance here. There's a movies and things like that that a 30-year-old can watch that a 5-year-old can't. But in so many ways, my parents chose not to do that for our sake. Because what I found is that kids, because of the innocence on their lives, you know, Jesus said, let the little children come to me for to theirs, is, to them belongs the kingdom of heaven, right? So the kids have this innocence on them. And because of that, they can smell inconsistency. They can just sense it. So if you're telling your kids not to do something, but you're doing it in the background, your kids are going are gonna to sense that. And it reminds me of Luke eleven thirty three through 35. It says, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it's bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. And something I felt like Jesus was speaking to me about this was that last bit, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. And I felt like God was saying, hey, be careful lest the light that you're trying to put in front, that you're trying to show your kids, actually has darkness behind it. Because your kids are going to sense that. There's just, there's something in a kid's heart they can smell inconsistency. And really, I think the make or break for us was, was the heart of my parents. Um, and I, I want to take a second and honor them and say, 
they are absolutely my heroes. I've, I've never met anybody like him. I, I always tell people that anything you guys hear from the stage, anything you hear up here, they're always doing above and beyond. They've already done it for years. They're, they're continuing to do it. It's because their hearts are bent toward Jesus. And really, that, that's what made me want to pursue purity. It was seeing my mom and my dad. And I, I remember even in high school, we'd be sitting in our house. We'd be watching a movie and, um, you know, maybe a Disney movie, nothing, nothing bad or anything. And my dad would walk in the room and it wasn't nervousness, but an awareness would, would kind of rise up in my heart. And I'd be like, okay, I'd be really aware of what I was watching. Cause I knew if something came up that didn't honor Jesus, whether it was something they said or something that was happening on the screen, my dad would not hesitate to walk up and turn it off. Um, every single time it was his consistency because my parents were fighting for purity and they created that standard. And man, when your parents want it, you can't help but rise up to it. So that's about it. Wow. We'll take that. We got, we got to take it. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> well, just so you know, I don't always know what he's going to say. I don't, that's not personal PR or something, but I am always uh, honored by who he is. And I will say this about Caleb. When he graduated from high school, uh, my daughters, I wrote them songs. You can go on YouTube and see little songs I wrote them. But I did a deal for Caleb, and I did um, 10 Reasons Why You're a Better Man Than I. And I just wept as I stood before a large group of people. You love people better than I. You love Jesus better than me. You're more forgiving than I am. And as I went through it, I meant it with all my heart. And I thought, thank you, Jesus. Isn't that the goal? That they would be better than us. Mom and dad, rather than pull back in shame and sense of guilt and failure, just say, God, would you do a miracle? Would you make them better than me? Well, we began the day talking about beginning with Jesus, beginning with God being central. And we would always end our day with Jesus being central. Bedtime was one of those special times that Laura and I would try to work life in such a way that we were both there or for sure one of us would be there. Had a lot of meetings in our homes late in the evening so that we could slip out for that 5, 10, 15 minutes to read a story about the kingdom of God or sing a little song or encourage their hearts and pray for them. Because you see, when you begin the day with Jesus and you end the day with Jesus, you're in the right place. No matter what's happened throughout the day, there's a place to land the junk of the day. And over those days, especially in their development years, uh, I wrote a little song and I would sing it every night. And, and um, uh, I'm going to share it with you here in just a moment. But I had the privilege when Abby got married her last night in our home. She was there and um, she had a dear friend over and her sister. They were all staying in the same room. And she said, uh, Daddy, would you get out the guitar and sing our song? Man, there were tears flowing, and they were all mine. <laughs> but I want to end our time with Jesus as central. Share this little song. I start with a familiar chorus, maybe to some of you, and roll into this little song. And uh, I pray that God would touch something in your heart, that you would hear His heart for you. Jesus, what a wonder you are. 
are so gentle, so pure and so kind. You shine like a morning star, Jesus. What a wonder you are. So good night, my little children. Sleep tight, my precious little ones. For Jesus, He loves you. There's no way that we cannot be touched when we talk about family, because God created us for it. I want to ask that we would stand together to respond to God's Word. If I can keep your attention just for a moment longer, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, then it's like you're looking from the outside in. God wants to first and foremost bring you into His family. And when we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I can't make it. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against others. Forgive me. Come into my life. I need you. Then the blindness and the veil is taken away. And we are brought in to a relationship with God, to the family of God, to that place of love and forgiveness that we were made for and have longed for. Whatever the problems and challenges are, we then have a new power in our lives through Jesus to be able to heal the past and to restore the lives around us. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus and you want to know Him, I want to take you there in a simple prayer. I'm going to pray this simple prayer. You can pray it right alongside with you. I'll give you room to repeat this prayer, actually. God sees your heart. If you need to know Jesus... He'll hear you. Sometimes it helps me at moments like just to close my eyes to focus. Of course, you don't have to. But if that helps you and you need Jesus and you're here in this place, just pray something like this. Lord Jesus, you can just pray right after me. Lord Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sins. I can't do it on my own. I need you. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you have made a way for me to know the Father 
created me. I receive your love. I receive your forgiveness. I am yours. Now as our prayer teams come to the front, if you just prayed that prayer with me, could you just boldly lift your hand just real quickly so I know where you are. I just want to pray the blessing of God over you. If you prayed that simple prayer, and even if you didn't raise your hand, you feel a little awkward, we have a a gift, a Bible for you, and some friends down here. We want to make sure to talk to you and pray with you. As well for everyone else here in the audience. When we talk about family, many times there is great pain that comes up. And God wants to touch you this morning. He wants to heal and restore your heart. Maybe you came here with nothing related to parenting. You, you're struggling physically, mentally, or emotionally. What these times are for at the end of our service is for you to come and get the ball and chain off of you. That by simply coming to a friend and saying, I need some help. Somebody putting a hand on your shoulder and praying in the name of Jesus that God would meet your need. My prayer for you is that you would not walk out of here with the burden that you came in with. You would not allow passivity or pride to prevent you from getting help. I'm going to pray, and if you need help in any area of your life, we are here to pray with you. Specifically, if you just pray to receive Jesus, make sure to come down here. We want to connect with you. But whatever your needs are, don't not respond to God's call in your life. I'm going to pray. If you have needs, you can come for prayer. We'll make sure somebody's here. The guys will sing and help us respond to God. Spirit of the living God, meet every need in this room according to your riches and glory in Jesus. Every place of pain, every place of hurt, God, would you come with your cleansing, healing, and restoring power? Would you rightly connect the needs with need meters this morning? And may your grace be poured out for healing and restoration in this place in the name of Jesus. Amen. You come on with whatever your needs are as we sing to Jesus.